We love you. We're going to talk uh, next couple weeks. I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about, today I'm going to talk about getting past your past. Anybody need to get past your past? Right? I need to get past my yesterday sometimes. I'm like, man, you know. We're going to talk today about getting past your past. Next week we're going to talk about how to reach people for Jesus. And then the month of November, I want to do a series on prayer. So please pray for me about this series on prayer because I really want to kind of lead into the new year and into the holidays a little bit with this time of Thanksgiving and we want to kind of grow into this a little bit. I'm, I'm working on it, so but just pray that that's kind of where I want to go. So today it's just, a, it's just going to be a story about getting past your past. How many of those things happen? Hello, right? Things happen for no particular reason at all. And one of the things that we struggle the most with are the things that we can't control. We can't control the way people act. We can't control the things that happen. Things just change. The world's just constantly in a, in a, in a state of flux, and it's always shifting. And what ends up happening as Christians is when we focus on the things that can't, we cannot control, it hurts us and delays us into the things that we can control. It's called getting stuck in a moment. Something happened to us and we are just stuck there. And we cannot get past it and we just live there and we almost can't function because of what has occurred. Somebody left you, somebody hurt you, you got fired at that job, you come from crazy backgrounds. Some people can't even move into life properly because they come from so much dysfunction. They become victimized. As a believer, we are not victims, we are victors. Big difference. Jesus does not look at you as a victim. He empathizes with what you've been through, but He loves you too much to leave you the same, and He always calls you from where you are into where you were created to be. He calls you from what you are or what you perceive yourself as, and He calls you into a higher place. It's what He does. There's nobody like Jesus. Can we agree? You think you got it bad? Let's just, look, let's just take a look at the life of Joseph. Okay. Now, I love this. Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. It was shot out. So we have this whole idea we shine the Bible, right? Oh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, great men of faith. Warriors, you know, incredible. Believed God at every turn. We see Abraham pimping out his wife to the Pharaoh. She's not my wife, she's my sister. Sure, you can have her, go ahead. Among many other things. Then we see this wonderful guy named Jacob, who is Joseph's father. Jacob had 13 kids with four different women. 12 boys and one girl. Four different women. It was dysfunctional was confused, was just confused to say the least. I don't know how you function with four different women around. I, I just don't understand, you know, how that works, ladies. <laughs> he was, appreciate <laughs> He was favored by his father and hated by his brothers. None of these things he could control. Things he was born into a crazy circumstance. He was born, his father wasn't even a godly man. Here's news to some of you all, Jacob. Oh no, Jacob was godly. He was a saint of God. There's only two instances in the Bible where Jacob actually worshipped. And both of them were during times of trial. And then the other time you see Jacob, he's, he's fighting with Jesus. He's having a fight. The Lord's like, do this. No, I'm not going to do that. Do this. No, I'm not going to do that. So Jacob wasn't even really this godly man. And when you see Jacob calling out to the Lord, in particular towards the end of his life, it says he's calling on the God of his father. 
He's not even calling on his God. He's calling out to the God that my father worshipped. So God, the Father, God out there, the one that my father worshipped, you're the one I'm calling on. So you can see his dad didn't even really have an intimate relationship with God. There was a covering over his family. There was a covenant over his family. There was a destiny over his family, but it was not activated. When there's a covering over your family, when there's a calling over your life, it may be there, but God is waiting to activate it. And he needs a little participation on your part in order to activate what it is that he has created and what it is that he's designed. And he couldn't get Jacob on the same page, but he found Joseph. Joseph was favored by his brother, hated by his brothers. He couldn't control that. He was betrayed and sold. So why did his brothers betray and sell him? Well, Joseph, so his father Jacob, he had two wives and two concubines, right? So this is what's going on. He has Rachel, he has Leah, and then he has both of their handmaidens, right? So they each had a, like a, a maid or a hand attendant. And Jacob, you know, loved the one you're with was kind of like what was going on here. And so he had a lot of children, but of all the women that were in Jacob's life, he loved Rachel. Rachel only had two children. She had Jacob and she had Benjamin. But because Jacob loved Rachel the most, he favored her children the most. You see, he didn't favor the other ones, but he favored her children. And so Benjamin was probably very small at the time, but Joseph was of age. And so they were rich. They were a very well-off family, but they were country, right? Think Beverly Hillbillies. That's kind of like what we're doing. So they're very rural. They're living in they're a farming family, and they have a lot of money. They're very well-off, but they're not the most sophisticated group. Right? And you think God couldn't use you. Huh? You don't think Jesus can use you? And so he's favored by his brothers, hated by his brothers. The, the father would send the boys out to tend the sheep and to work the field and to do all the things that were necessary, but he would keep Joseph home. Joseph complained to his dad one time that the boys were being mean to him. And so he kept Joseph home. He said, well, you don't have to go out and work anymore. And so all the other 11 brothers, imagine how you would feel, would go out into the field and would work. And they'd come back home smelling like sweat, full of dirt, probably smelling like manure because they've been out working with animals and working the field all day, calluses on their hands, sunburnt, and here comes Joseph cruising up in a Versace robe with a Mai Tai in his hand. What's up, guys? How's the day going? You know? And the Bible says they hated him. Well, why did they hate him? Because he was favored by their father and they were made to do, he was, he was kept away from doing the things that they, all, they were doing. His dad's weakness created a lot of family drama. Because his father wouldn't lead his house correctly, it created a lot of family drama. So just to relieve you parents, there's no perfect way to lead the family. But when there's an, un, when there's an unequal favoritism placed over one child, it, causes a, 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 it creates dissent. Can we agree? And so they had a lot of what they call, what the, what the psychologists would call latent anger. So they had a lot of anger towards their brother beneath the surface. And so Joseph goes out one day. His dad goes, hey, go check on the boys. I haven't, they haven't come in. And so Joseph, you know, gets out of his robe, you know, actually puts on his, his good clothes and goes out and finds him. And he's walking up in all of his finery, his coat of many colors. So Joseph had the threads, you know, he had the whole thing. So he comes cruising up, right? And the brothers see him. And as soon as they see him, they hate him. And they're like, let's kill him. We got a chance to kill him now. So his brothers eventually betray him. They sell him as a slave, right? They go home and they tell their dad that their brother was killed by a wild animal. He couldn't control any of that. And so Joseph is taken, at 17 years old, he's taken to a culture that he did not know. 
a language that he did not go, know. He went from sophisticated, he went from urban, rural to urban, a lack of sophistication to the most sophisticated culture in the world. Egypt was the most sophisticated society on the planet at the time. We still study Egypt. Do you know that? Hieroglyphics, their language, their pictorial language was not deciphered until the 1800s. That's how, that's how in-depth. We didn't under, even now, is what we know about Egypt, you know what it is? Best guesses. That's pretty much all it is. They keep guessing. Well, we think it was like that. and Well, we said that 20 years ago, but now we've kind of discovered this. So they're still studying this culture. It was, a, it was a culture of mystery religion. It was a culture of mathematics. It was a culture of science. It was a culture of astronomy. Highly sophisticated. And Joseph is going into that culture, and he knows nothing. He couldn't control that. He was a stranger in a strange place. You ever feel alienated? Completely without any kind of bearing that anything seems familiar to you? Well, he was thrown into that. He had no family anymore. He, he was denied. And here he finds himself standing on a slave block in chains, being sold. And I always like to point this out to you, that when slaves were sold in the ancient days, they were sold naked. They, wouldn't, they, they, they took all their clothes off them. So you were standing there in complete vulnerability, bound. He couldn't control the state that he found himself in. He had no power over that. They wanted the buyers to be able to see the, all the goods that they were purchasing. He was nothing more than property. He had been reduced to the level of property. He couldn't control that. He, then he goes, to serve, he goes to serve the person who buys him, and he serves the guy well, and the guy gives him authority over his whole house, and his wife is kind of hot for him. You know, he's young and lean. You know what I'm saying? He's got it going on. Her husband's off working all the time, and she's there by herself, and she sees little muscular Joseph running around all day long. And she says, lie with me. Every day, the woman would say, lie with me. My husband's gone. Lie with me. The Jews have a spiritual commentary called the Mishnah, and so it's a commentary. It's not the word, but they, comment, they do a commentary into the word. And in the Mishnah, it says that she took off her robe and said, lie with me. So let's, try, let's, let's just give a visual to that. So she comes up, she drops all her clothes, and she's kind of standing there going, lie with me. He's 17 years old, okay? Hormones are raging. And here's this woman, beautiful woman of a, of a pharaoh prince, of a prince, of a ruler, standing in front of him saying that. And he said, the Lord will see. And the Mishnah says that she took her robe and threw it over the heads of one of the household gods and said, no, he won't. And he ran out. He became a, she accused him of rape. And they threw him in prison for, ready? You ready for this? Ten plus years he was thrown in prison. Over a decade thrown in prison. We, think, we read this stuff and we think it's just like, oh, like Joseph spent the night in jail. He spent ten years in an Egyptian prison. They didn't care about you. There were no, uh, no, no prison reforms back then. You basically, in the ancient world, you were in a hole in the ground. Or you were in a cave that was dark, dingy, and if there was any cells, it was there at all, and there was guards, armed guards around you. You were treated as if you were nothing. He couldn't control that either. How would you feel? You think you've been through trauma? This is, a guy, this is probably one of the most traumatized people in the Bible, is the life of Joseph. 
Then he goes into prison and he finds a couple of guys there. He blesses these guys. He honors these guys. He serves the prisoner, the prison warden, becomes in charge of the prison because he's so faithful. And he serves a couple of the prisoners. Well, a couple of the prisoners were related to the king. And so one guy gets killed, the other guy goes back to work for the king, and as he's going back to work for the king or to Pharaoh, he says, hey, remember me. And the guy goes, no problem, man, I got you. I got you. When I get up to Pharaoh, I'm going to tell him all about you. Well, he doesn't. Years go by. Joseph's still in prison. He's still there, forgotten. He couldn't, he couldn't control it. Eventually, the king has a nightmare. Some would call it a dream, but it was a nightmare. This happens a lot. And so God, the, the, the Pharaoh couldn't get anybody to interpret it. And so there was a, the, the cupbearer that was standing in front, of the, in front of the king. He said, oh yeah, there's a guy in jail. I remember about eight years ago. Guy's still down there, I think, unless he's dead already. I'm not too sure. But he could interpret dreams. And Pharaoh's like, what? Go get him. And so they bring him. Joseph shaves. Key part. He presents himself in humility. So Joseph probably had some pride issues that he had to work through. Joseph probably had some selfish issues that he had to work through. Joseph probably had some look-at-me issues he had to work through. It's all about me. I'm so wonderful, you know. He probably had some victim issues. Why is this happening to me? He had some of that. The Bible says he shaved. For a Hebrew, he presented himself as a slave. That's what it meant. When a Hebrew shaved, the only slaves shaved in their culture. And so he shaved. He said, I'm going to go as a slave. I'm going to go as a servant. He didn't go there entitled. Hello? How many of you would go there entitled? And Pharaoh's going to ask you, man, dude, you've had me in prison for 10 years. You want me to give you something? I'm not giving you anything. Because when he interpreted the dream, there was no guarantees. Pharaoh wasn't offering him a deal. He just said, hey, get that slave up here, and I want him to interpret my dream. And he promised him nothing. And so Pharaoh, he could have just been like, dude, up yours. I'm not, I'm not, you know. Forget it. I'm not doing it. Stay with your nightmares. I'm not helping you. But he didn't. He served. And Pharaoh looks at him and says, you know, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph said, I can't interpret anything. But the God that I serve, see, difference between him and his father, the God of my fathers, the God that I serve, the God that is my God can interpret the dreams. And so he interpreted the dream. He went back. He prayed. The Lord told him this is what it means. He goes back and tells Pharaoh. He said, you're going to have seven years of of plenty and seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine are going to be greater than the seven years of plenty. And he says, so let Pharaoh be wise and let Pharaoh store up the grain in the years of plenty so that there will be sufficient amount in the years of famine. He says that. That's all he says. And Pharaoh's like, and he's looking at all his counselors and he's like, you guys are a bunch of idiots, man. Let, where can I find a wise person? Well, it's not you. You know what, Joseph? I'm going to put you in charge of it all. And so Joseph goes from the slave to being a prince almost overnight. Next slide. He became very successful despite his past. There's some keys in our lives that we can learn from Joseph. There's some things that he did that are necessary for all of us because I'm going to tell you this, right? We're we people of truth, so I'm going to tell you the truth. TV, radio, American culture, we like to shine everything. Family of four, everybody gets along just perfect. Perfect job, perfect life, perfect family, perfect vacation. Nothing ever goes wrong. Nobody's ever traumatized. Nobody's ever victimized. You are going to be traumatized by life. You are going to be victimized by life. It is inevitable. It's going to happen. 
And the way it's going to happen to you, it's going to hit you from out of the blue. It's going to either just, just totally just hit you. And so with that being in mind, then we need to understand how do we move on. What we're trained to do, because Christians are probably some of the worst at this, is we like to pretend that nothing is wrong. Nothing is ever wrong. We're either overly victimized, oh, woe is me, pray for me, brother, everything's just down in the dumps, woe is me, nobody knows how the, or we're over here and we're basically shining everybody and pretending like nothing's wrong. And that's neither, neither one of those positions are truth. We need to be able to get through what we're going through. We need to be able to overcome the things that happen to us, right? We are overcomers, isn't that what we are? We're not going underers. That doesn't what the Bible says. You're my people. You're going to go under. He says, no, you're going to go over. You're going to be victors. Our model and our witness to the world is when we overcome. When we go through the most horrific circumstances, and yet we're unchanged or we are bettered by the circumstances. We're unscathed. We pass through fire, but it doesn't burn us. We go through water, but it doesn't overtake us. That's a promise. He didn't say you wouldn't go through fire. He said you're going to go through the fire, but it's not going to burn you. You're going to go through the water, but it's not going to drown you. You see the difference? American Christianity is, oh, we don't go through fire. Oh, no, that's not of God. You know, well, God is an author of the circumstances, but he is the architect of your victory. He's not creating the circumstances by which you find yourself in, but he will use it. God would have had this go another way. He didn't need Joseph's brothers to betray him. He didn't need Joseph to be sold as a slave. He could have operated through that circumstance a different way had it been presented to him. But God used what was presented to him. And so he said, okay, this is what I'm being given. All right, then this is what I'm going to work with. That's how he operates in our life. We have to get our theology correct when it comes to the Lord. Oh, God, God had Joseph sold as a slave. No, he didn't. God used that circumstance. God did not put it into the hearts of his brothers to betray him. Light comes from heaven, not darkness. Good comes from the Father, not evil. So there's, he uses the wickedness of men to benefit you. He uses the destruction of your own life to benefit you. That's what he does. He's in the restoration business. Your father's in the restoration. It's what he does. It's what he does. There is nothing too far beyond him. He will restore and he will use whatever's offered to him. It doesn't matter how broken. It doesn't matter how messed up. It doesn't matter how shot out. It doesn't even matter how clueless you are. He will use it if it's presented to him. The first thing that happened with Joseph is he moved on. Everybody say it with me. He moved on. Yeah. He focused on what he could control. He couldn't control any of the things that he was in. He couldn't control any of his background. The guy basically, forget therapy, he could, he could have crawled under a rock, you know, based upon all the stuff that's happened to him at this stage in his life. He could have been just like, kill me now. You know what I'm saying? How am I going to face tomorrow? This is horrible. Nobody knows. Well, Joseph knows. Jesus knows more than that. But Joseph is, it's, I, th I really believe this is why the Bible slows down over the life of Joseph. Because if we'll take a careful look and we'll not make these people icons, where we worship, oh, holy Joseph, holy Abraham, holy Jacob, you know, they're not. This is what's unique about the Bible is it's brutally honest. It just throws it all out there. And it shows that the Lord will work through the worst circumstances. That's why the scripture is so powerful. <laughs> he says, man, these people are shot out. You don't think I can use you? 
These people are broken. You don't think I can use you? I can use you. You don't think I can do anything in your life? Read the Word. Read, what, read the testimonies. She, if I did it for them, I'll do it for you. Aren't you glad? Say it with me. If Jesus did it for another, come on, He'll do it for me. He's no respecter of persons. Here's the key. You ready? We say it here all the time because it's something I want to embed in you. Say it with me. Jesus does not have favorites. Jesus has intimates. Big difference. There's no favoritism. We're all equal at the cross. What separates us from each other is the level of intimacy that we want from Him. That's what separates us. It's not a separatism based upon favoritism. All are favored. What separates us is the intimacy. Into me you see. You want to know what intimacy is? Into me you see. David, search me and know me, Lord. See what's wrong with me. See what's right in me. David was a man after God's own heart, right? He pursued the heart of God. Lord, let me see into you. Let me know your heart. Let me know your ways. Let me know who you are. I don't want to just see who you are. I want to know who you are. I want to know you. I don't want to operate on earthly levels. I want to operate on heaven's level. That's what separates the pack. Right? See the prayer of Jabez. That's what's popping up to me right now. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers in that he called upon the Lord. You see the intimacy? Jabez was born into a family of pain. Horrible circumstances. His mom looked at, from the day you're born, you're like, that boy is pain. That's all you are, you're pain. From the time he was born. Imagine going through life and all, your, name is, your name is pain. Oh, here comes pain. Pain just walked in the door. And he called upon the Lord and he said, Lord, bless me. Bless me. I know you can use anything if it's presented to you. So I present myself to you. Nobody else is presenting themselves to you, but I am. Nobody else is calling on your favor, but I am. Nobody else is believing you for, my, for your promises, but I am. You see the difference? Everything pivots off that. We think it's just going to happen by default. It will not. So there's not an issue. Oh, God just favors that person. Look at the favoritism on them. Oh, they're just favored. Jesus just likes you better than me. Says who? You're all favored. You just need to activate your favor. You need to activate it through intimacy and relationship. He focused on what he could control. Joseph couldn't control his circumstances. Say this with me. I cannot control my circumstances, but I can control my attitude and my ethic. Ethic is what you do in the process. You can control your attitude and you can control the things that you do. You can control your perception and you can control your actions. You may not be able to control your, your circumstances, but that is what you can control. He goes down here as Potiphar, captain of the guard, Egyptian, buys him from the Ishmaelites. The Lord was with Joseph. I'll give you one. It's not about your circumstances. It's about his presence. It has nothing to do with the trouble that you find yourself in. It has everything to do with it finding His presence. His presence changes everything. Acknowledging His presence, seeing His presence, entering His presence, activating His presence, that's what changes everything. Greatest gift to the church is the presence of God. You don't think it's important? Jesus said, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. What does that mean? More important to me and beyond, your salvation is the root of it all, but the most important thing that you can receive from me is my manifest presence through my Spirit. More than anything else, and we just think the presence is just this warm, fuzzy, 
Woo, I feel the glory. And we worship not too much, not too much, not too much. I was in a church yesterday, and it was kind of like a three-quarter worship. Everybody's like this. Not too much, just enough, just enough. Ooh, oh, no, we're going too far, we're going too far. <laughs> measure and fullness, what do you want? I want fullness, I don't want measure. I'm not interested in measure, I want fullness. His master saw that the Lord was with him. He acknowledged and said, man, there's something on this, dude. There's something about this guy that makes him different than everybody else. He wasn't working for Potiphar. In the midst of his circumstances, Joseph was honoring the Lord. Do you have any idea how difficult that is? I've, you know, for me, like sometimes I listen to teachings and I hear different people say certain things and I'm talking about forgiveness and I, you know, I'll talk to you a little bit about my wrestlings with forgiveness. And you can go, we need to pray for the pastor again. No, I'm trying to show you the reality of this stuff. You know, we shine this. We act like it's just, oh, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph was just this amazing person. All of these things are going on. We think that this stuff is just simple, and it's actually because Joseph called upon the Lord, he was activating his favor. Because he was in relationship with the Lord, he was activating his favor. And you know how difficult that is? Some of you would say, let's just put it into maybe simplistic modern terms. You're working for a boss who's abusive. Huh? You're working in an environment that you need to be in because you need to pay your bills, you need the money, whatever it is, but you're in a really harsh environment. And you've got to serve in that environment. And you've got to do so happy. You've got to do so with a smile on your face. Joseph honored God in the midst of the horrible circumstances. What we often do is we degrade into poor me and self-pity. So let me free you up a little bit. It's, say this with me. It's okay for me to have moments of self-pity. It is not okay for me to have a lifestyle of self-pity. Here again, when we blow up the Christian world, we get over here and we say, well, you shouldn't have any self-pity, you should be in faith at all times. Well, says who? I read lots of stories in the scripture and they had self-pity. They had fear, they had doubt, they had worry. But what you don't see is a lifestyle of that. What we create, we create a lifestyle of self-pity. We live out of a victimized past, live out of something someone did or man you know I was just I just wasn't born with all the advantages you had Kevin you have no idea what my background is you have no idea where I come from I come from shot out but the Lord is good the Lord is good he takes beauty he takes the ashes and makes beauty he lifts the weary from the ashes and establishes them with princes this is who he is this is who Jesus is he's not common He's not ordinary. He's not Muhammad. He's not any of these other nonsensical, foolish things that we worship, including ourselves, including our institutions, including our intellect, including psychology. Nothing wrong with intellect, nothing wrong with psychology, but it must be subjected and submitted unto the Lordship of Christ. If it exalts itself against His knowledge, it's wrong. If it exalts itself against his truth and against his reality, it's wrong. And we relish ourselves and we roll ourselves into self-pity and we create a lifestyle out of self-pity. We become victims all the time. You ever meet anybody like that? This is a victim. And you're just drained. You're like, see him coming in and you're like, oh my gosh. What is it this week? <laughs> It's okay. Listen, you're going to have moments where you're going to feel bad for yourself. You're going to have moments where you're going to feel like you've been victimized. But you cannot live there. That cannot be your lifestyle. 
That is not our lifestyle. Our lifestyle is a kingdom lifestyle, not a self-pity lifestyle. What Joseph did is he maximized what was set before him. He moved past his past. It wasn't that he didn't deal with his past. He will deal with his past eventually. But where he is right now in the moment, he cannot function because his past is demanding him be a slave to his past. And he's like, I can't do that. If I yield myself to this, I won't be able to function at all. And so he moved on. And we see that Joseph reaches a more healthy place, which we'll see in the story. And when he reached a more healthy place, he dealt with his past. Some of you, you guys are in too frail of a place to deal with the issues of your past. You're, you're living there. It's just constantly cycling over you. You've got to set it aside and you've got to move on. And you've got to find a more healthy, stable place. And then you can deal with it. One of the principles of the Bible is redemption and lift. Another principle is reclamation, which is another idea of, re of, of, of redemption. There's a time God buys it back and He lifts you from the circumstance. God buys your past. He buys your purposes. He buys everything. He buys the broken potter's field. That's broken lives. Your life is shattered. It's broken. It's horrible. Everything Jesus paid for, your broken, horrible life with blood money. Right? And I know some people say, well, I didn't really have a broken, horrible life. Well, I get it. But the truth is, is that the majority of people do. You're talking 80-20. Probably 20% of people are actually functional. I mean, literally. We come to Jesus shot out, and he rebuilds the life. That's what he does. And if you're honest, you'll look at that in your own life, and you'll acknowledge that. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that builds it. So if you're building your own house and you've accomplished all of these wonderful things and it's because of your family background and, oh, I was just raised with Ozzie and Harriet and I was raised in Leave it to Beaver or whatever it is your, you know, your, your, your ideology is, you're coming from that and you think everything's whole and complete and, and there, you've labored in vain. You've built a house that won't stand. The Lord needs to build your house. And people that come from stable backgrounds oftentimes have a more difficult time than people who come from shot-out backgrounds. And do you know why? Because he has to dismantle the house before he builds it. And so people that come from, to Jesus and they're all whole and they're intellect and they got whatever it is that they got going on, they have a harder time because they don't understand that Jesus isn't going to work with that. He's going to dismantle it. So the person whose house is already in ashes, well, hey man, you're halfway there. Aren't you glad? <laughs> He doesn't have to tear you down in order to lift you up. He just has to clear everything out of the way. Let's get the debris out of here. Let's redig the foundation. Let's build this thing up. People are under, Christians are under a deception a lot of times. I, I observe the church and I'm trying to not, I'm trying to, it's in my heart to say this, but I'm trying to say it in a way that doesn't come across as a negative because it's not a negative. It's a simple observation. And my motive for looking at these things is not to say, oh, you know, whatever. It's not an issue of better. It's not even an issue of different. It's a quest for what is true. I'm questing for what is true. And a lot of times in our churches, we pretend that everything is clean and pretty and fancy. And people don't like it if, unless it's clean, pretty, and fancy. Well, newsflash, it's not always clean, pretty, and fancy. Come on. And those people that like it clean, pretty, and fancy, when it's not clean, pretty, and fancy in their own life, you know what happens? They pull away from church. Because they're living out of vanity. They're pursuing a vain existence. They're not pursuing something from honesty. 
And I think what has to happen is the message has to come forth from the, from the pulpit, if you will, or the message has to come forth from the leadership to the people, is that this is what it looks like. It's not the bell choir. I mean, it's not. I mean, I listen, I have nothing, no problem with it. I go, you know, I go into beautiful churches and I look around and I say, wow, this is great. This is amazing. Talk to the pastor. Oh, where are you guys? Oh, we're in a warehouse. You know, and I'm in this magnificent building. Wow. Chandeliers, soffits. I'm like, man, those, those ceilings must be 20 feet high. You know, I'm looking around in a beautiful building, beautiful whatever. And I ask the Lord, I sit there and I'm having this wrestling match in my spirit. Something isn't sitting right with me. And I'm asking the Lord, is this really it? Is this, is this it? You know, shiny, happy people all the time? Or is, it, or is it really about human struggle in relationship to the power of the Spirit? Is that it? Where is it? And we are a people of transformation. Nobody else is going to transform. But the people of God have the power to transform not only themselves, but culture itself. But that is not going to happen until we step into the things that God has for us. And one of those places is a place of honesty. we got to reach that point. We have to reach the point that it's not about me, it's about Jesus. It's not about my past, it's about my future. It's not about who I was, it's about who I am and who I'm becoming. Jesus, Joseph maximized what was set before him. He had a lot, he had, I, I say it this way, he played the cards that were in front of him and he changed the game. He not only played the hand that he was dealt, he changed the game itself. Next slide. So he moved on. Here's Paul. I don't count myself to have apprehended. In other words, I'm not there. One thing I do, I forget what's behind, and I reach forward to the things that are ahead. So here it is. I want to say this. What Paul is saying here is he forgets. And again, I mean, just I'm, for some reason, I'm dealing with Christian consciousness here this morning. This is what I feel like the Holy Spirit is showing me right now. Is that I feel like sometimes we think the word to forget is that we have no memory of it. We forget those things. Brother, you just need to forget that. You need to forget. How many knows you can't forget certain things? You know what I'm saying? No matter how hard you try, you can't forget it. You might forget it for a moment or for a minute here. What Paul is saying is I refuse to be accept to be affected by that. That's what it means to forget. Yeah, that's a reality. Yeah, I come from a home where my dad had four women and 13 kids. Yeah, that's a reality. Yeah, I was sold, accused, whatever. Yeah, that's a reality. But I refuse to be affected by what has happened to me. I refuse to allow that to be my identity and that to be my purpose. It's not an issue that it didn't happen. He's not in denial and just pretending like none of this is true. He's like, yep, it's true, but he puts it over there. And he said, that's where it is, but I refuse to be affected. I'm not carrying that. I'm not going to carry that. That's what he's talking about. Joseph was in God's will. He didn't know it. God's will from where Joseph was standing was difficult. It was the will of the Lord that he preserved the nation. It was the will of the Lord that God create provision in the midst of the famine. And so God needs a godly man in order to do that. And God had to use this, these broken circumstances to bring it about. Joseph is a victim of circumstance. But God is trying to turn, and he eventually will, his circumstances into a victory, not just for Joseph's life, but for the people around him. In difficult circumstances, God will change you. I mean, we sing songs about it. What doesn't kill you make you stronger, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's gospel, particularly for Christians. The circumstances isn't what makes us stronger. The Lord is who makes us stronger. God is going to reveal a part of Joseph that he didn't even know existed. 
Pressure has an unbelievable ability to reveal something that you didn't even know was there. We see it in geology. Diamonds are created through pressure. How is it that coal can become a diamond? Pressure reveals something that wasn't already there, that we didn't even know was there. Pressure reveals a part of you, good, bad, and ugly, that you didn't even know was there. I love it. Christians think they got it all together. They get under pressure and they completely fall apart. Oh, I thought you had it all together. You know, no, you're being revealed that you don't have it all together. And you know what? If you don't have it all together, let's say it together. Everybody say it with me. That is okay. Because there's one who does have it all together. Okay? He's the wonderful counselor. He's the great physician. He's an ever-present help in time of need. All glory, power, and dominion are his. He is, and he loves you. Joseph, God was preparing him. He was preparing him for something that was created for the future. And he needed to extract from Joseph and reveal from Joseph and to make Joseph stronger in order that he could carry the glory that he was about to give him. I got to move. We got communion. I got more to say, but I'm going to have to save it for second service. <laughs> you guys getting anything out of this? Yeah. All right. The second thing he did is he worshiped in the process. He moved on. He set his past aside for the time that he needed in order to become healthy. That's so important. So important. Just set it aside. You don't have to set it aside forever. Eventually, you're going to have to deal with it. You're so far down that you have to set that aside just to get up to level. And once he gets you up to level and he starts building you, eventually you'll have to deal with the issues of your past. Eventually. Because that's what's going to inhibit you from going to the next level. But if you're, so, if you're behind the curve, that's what you have to do. He worshipped in the process. He honored God. Say this with me. My past does not determine my future. Say this one. This is important. My today determines my tomorrow. Your past does not affect your future unless you let it. The choices that you're making today are what will affect your future. If your choice is to stay stuck in a moment, woe is me, pity party, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, then that will affect your future. But if your choice is to identify yourself in Christ and say, I'm moving on, God's got a better tomorrow, this is who I am in Christ, it doesn't matter, all of those things, if you choose that, then that will affect your future. Your past has no rulership over you unless you allow it. You, unless you allow it. Next slide. He acknowledged God's presence in the process. Life is not the absence of trouble. Let's say this together. Life is not the absence of trouble. It is about the presence of God. I could give you more stories on that, but it's true. The third thing he did is he healed the soul. Here's where Joseph makes reconciliation. So he had to reach a point in his life where he himself was stable at least for the most part. He wasn't all the way there because he needed to heal some issues from his past. But he's now whole. And he's strong enough to deal with his junk. Sometimes you've got to get strong enough to deal with your junk. Huh? You, but eventually, you're going to have to deal with your junk. As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He forgave these people. He forgave the people who hurt him the worst. I'm going to run through this real quick, but this is, a, this is an important principle. Forgiveness is a necessary step in God's process. Forgiveness means to embrace the Lord's forgiveness. That's the first thing, is to be forgiven by the Lord. The second thing that is attached to forgiveness is that you have to know that you are loved and accepted conditionally. 
And I'm not talking about knowing it from your head. I'm talking about knowing it from your being. And the only way you're going to know that is by continual and perpetual encounters with the Lord at the deep level of the Spirit. He will embed His love in you. He will love you for no particular reason at all. That's how much He wants to demonstrate that He loves you. And you have to know that you are loved unconditionally. Here's a big one. Everybody say this one. You're going to love this one. People are not my source. Hello. Sometimes we have a hard time forgiving because we think that person really messed up our lives. That person isn't your source. If you're a Christian, your source flows from heaven. It doesn't flow from the earth. People aren't your source. Let them go. Oh, well, let them go. People can only hinder. They can never heart the destiny of God in your life. That's the only thing they can do. Is they can, the only thing they can do is slow it down. People cannot stop the destiny of God in your life unless you let it. Unless you start agreeing with it and stopping with the process. But as long as you keep moving, the only thing they can do is slow you down. The devil can't stop you. He cannot. He can only slow you down. Understanding is a key to forgiveness. Next slide. This is where I really struggled. I'd get, you know, I was a young Christian, and I'd go, oh, I'm having a hard time. You know, I would forgive, but then there were things I couldn't. I'm not having a hard time forgiving. I'm having a hard time. I can forgive most, but I can't forgive these things. You know, and they well, you just need to forgive that. You just need to forgive that. You just need to forgive that. So that was what I would do when I was a younger Christian. And then I would go, man, I feel so bad. What's wrong with me? I can't forgive. What is my problem? I don't know what's going on here, God. Why am I? Why can't I forgive? I must be weak. And I started, then I started, as I got older, I started realizing that this is a difficulty, not just for me, but for a lot of people. I started asking God for the answer. And he says, you can't forgive because you can't understand. You cannot forgive because you don't understand. Why did they do that? When you understand, this is important. I, need, I feel like I need to pause right here just for a minute, because this is important to a lot of you. Say this with me. When I understand why it happened, this is important. It does not make it right. The understanding makes it forgivable. You see the difference? When you understand that a hurt person hurt me, that that person's hurting, that that person was abused, that that person was broken, that that person's immature, that that person, whatever it is, then you can, you can understand it and you can forgive it. When you understand that you're messed up, you can forgive yourself. If you don't understand that you're messed up, then you, don't, you can't forgive yourself. Well, I'm not perfect, but Jesus loves me. I, you can understand yourself, and you can understand that you don't have it all together. And then you can forgive yourself. But if you can't understand, I can't understand why I did that. What's wrong with me? I'm so stupid. I'm so dumb. I'm so dumb. And you start embedding all this unforgiveness into your own heart against yourself. You have to understand. Last thing. Live to bless. Say it with me. Live to bless. We're going to bless the communion here in a second. Joseph played the hand that he was dealt, and he changed the game. He refused to be a victim of circumstances. He was a victor over his circumstances. He was dealt a horrible hand, and he dealt it, and he played that hand. But he changed the game. Instead of cursing those who had cursed him, he blessed them in return. You see how the game changes then? He changed the game. He changed the rules. He could have taken retribution, and he was given clear opportunity to take retribution, but he did not. He added value into everyone's life and he treated his circumstances and he treated his situations that presented themselves to him as an assignment and an opportunity to bless. And we'll close right here. So let's just say these points. Just to say this and we'll bless the communion. We'll take communion and we'll move in. Say it with me. Move on. Oh, come on. We do better than that. Move on. That's right. Some of you need to say that today. Move on. That's right. Worship on the way. Heal up. 
and live to bless. Those are the keys to the success of Joseph's life in spite of horrible circumstances. So we're going to take communion. What we do here at Elevate, Jody's going to play some, uh, some, some music. Uh, and what we're going to do is just if you make your way around, grab the communion element and bring it back to the juice and the little cracker and bring it back to your seat with you and we'll take it together, okay? So let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. We bless this time. It is an honor, Lord, to honor you and honor to honor one another with a communion service, God, and to receive from you and to acknowledge you and all that you've done. And so we ask that you bless this time and bless these elements in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just go ahead and make your way around given a couple of exhibitions and participation things by the Lord that are to testify of a new reality and communion is one of them communion isn't just a testimony it's a remembrance and it is a physical act into a spiritual reality Christ in us and on the night that Jesus was betrayed he had a party He's celebrating. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He didn't want to go there, but he knew at the other side of that what was going to happen. And he passed around a, a cup, and the cup was called, well, we'll do the bread first. He took the bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Every time you do this, remember me. Because what I do for you is no small thing. So I want you to hold it up, and let's say this. This represents the body of Jesus that was broken for me. I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. Then he held up a cup, a cup of redemption. And he said, this is my blood. This is a blood that brings you into a new covenant. Better promises, better hope, better beginning. And he says, as often as you do this, I want you to remember me because what I do for you is no small thing. So let's hold it up and say this represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out for me. 
I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. All right. Well, I love you. We love you. And Jesus loves you too. That's right. Lots of love in the house here. Let me bless you one more time. Just receive the blessing. Just receive it. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen.